All right, Culture Shock Abroad family, um, we have another exciting episode. Um, This episode is going to be particularly interesting because it's one of those topics that we have kind of maybe spoken about individually, but there's not a lot of discussion collectively from the Jamaican diaspora with this issue kind of affecting our community or influencing our community or shaping the way um, we live our lives or the way we even function when we move abroad. Just kind of diving into um, some of these um, issues that we grew up with that were around us. And as you can tell with this season, we're really diving into some of the personal issues that we go through. We spoke about imposter syndrome. We spoke about self-care, kind of stepping into our greatness. So I think this episode, I really wanted to dive into some of the um, conscious and subconscious biases that we may have seen growing up and we have not really dived into it. So in this episode, we're actually going to talk about colorism in Jamaica. Um, I know we've heard about this, or like I said, spoken about this in different ways, in different forms, but I really wanted us to focus primarily on the Jamaican diaspora and the Jamaican community. So I am by no means the expert. So I did a little research and I found you know, a Jamaican that was doing a lot of great work and a lot of research on the topic. Um, And um, she has a lot of publications out right now speaking about colorism in Jamaica, kind of giving like the historical context, looking at the social impact. And I thought it was really interesting. So I reached out to her just to um, see if she would be, she would agree to an interview. So I'm really excited to welcome um, Dr. Monique Kelly. Um, Welcome, Monique. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to quickly introduce yourself um, and um, tell us kind of what your research um, has been and, and, you know, just kind of your path. Right. So hi again, Jeremy. And thanks for having me and reaching out. Um, I'm happy to be on the podcast. Um, so currently I am a Dean's Research Associate in the Sociology Department at Michigan State University, which is a fancy title for that I'm a postdoctoral scholar. Um, so I start as a tenure track assistant professor at MSU um, in August. Um, So my research broadly focuses on racial and ethnic identities, attitudes, and inequality, as well as immigration processes connected to those social dynamics. So my current research agenda investigates race, colorism, stratification, and inequality comparatively within the Anglophone Caribbean and the larger diaspora. So as I mentioned, I have a few publications on Jamaica. So currently what I'm working on is actually doing a comparative paper between um, looking at racial inequality in Jamaica comparatively to Trinidad and Tobago, mm-hmm. right? And see how that race and skin color plays out into organizing um, organizing society or organizing opportunities, right? So looking at outcomes like income and education, which I normally look at. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, I have a project that I just got a grant for, w- w- to money to do in research. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Necessary. Right, that's going to look at compare Kenya and Barbados that looking at the question of um, post-colonial citizenship. So what does that mean? How is that interpreted? And how does it play out in terms of like allocation of state resources? And again, how again, race and ethnicity organizes that in those two contexts. Okay. So that's 
<laughs> great. No, that is great work because I, I, I know that there are a lot of Jamaicans. We leave Jamaica and we study abroad and we're doing a lot of work in yeah. the diaspora with just gathering a lot of data um, for our own theses and also just you know, in, you know, doing our own research and a lot of these things are not brought to the forefront. So I think it's great that you're doing the work. And also I'm, I'm happy to hear about the comparison, even within the Caribbean, um, because I'm sure there are, there are a lot of differences and, and, and a lot of similarities that need to be, um, to kind of be examined. So that's, that's great. Um, so I always ask my guests this. Um, I know it's a cliche question and people are like, uh, why are you asking me that? But um, it's, it's not that bad. Where in Jamaica are you from? Because I like my audience to connect with people from where they're from. So let us know. Right. So I'm from Kingston. Very general answer. <laughs> <laughs> Kingston. Yeah. I grew up uh, Mountain View. Um, for those who know where Mountain View is um, in Kingston. Yes. So yeah, so that's where I'm from. You know, I went Ooh. to... Andrew High School for girls. <laughs> you went to St. Andrew High. Okay. All right. Cool. 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 That's great. That's it, right? Um, <laughs> girls. Um, yes. Like most um, Jamaicans who grew up um, in the inner city, um, grew up working class, right? So I did a sport on track. I got a track scholarship, um, track and academic scholarship to go to college in the US. I did my four year degree. Then immediately went on to do my master's and PhD. Um, so I have a master's in demography and then my um, a PhD is in sociology. So, awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. That's, and it's a, I know it takes a lot of dedication to kind of move through the next and then on to the next one. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that and even happier to see that you're doing work um, for the, the diaspora. So that's good. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know... <sighs> I don't know if it's the Meghan Markle situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. But in the last few weeks, I've really been thinking about um, colorism. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't think you can kind of go on any Caribbean, Jamaican um, social media post um, comments on section or, you know, any discussion and not see some elements Mm-hmm. of um, kind of like post-colonial colorism or classism. And mm-hmm. I mean, it, it takes on different forms, right? Mm-hmm. So in your experience and based on your research or even, you know, just day-to-day life, do you think Jamaica has a racism issue or is it more a classism um, concern? Right. And then so what I will say is that it's both. And <laughs> race and class are intimately tied and a lot of times people try to disaggregate the two but that's impossible right Mm -hmm. it's like comparing apples and oranges they're both fruits but they're totally different things Mm -hmm. right so there's no way you can talk about one without talking about the other and I'll give this example uh the onset of colonization race was used to determine class of individuals right colonizers were white signifying Mm -hmm. that they were free and they had power and they had money because, again, they were the colonizers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, enslaved Africans were black. And that was a physical signal to individuals that they were enslaved, right? That means that they had no freedom. They were property. And, again, if you're a property, you're not, again, slavery is not mm-hmm. paid for, right? You have no income, 
Right. So like from the onset, that's how race was used to decipher who was free and who was enslaved, who had the means of production, who was in control versus who was not and who was property. So that is the origin of it. Then there's no way now to disaggregate the two. So again, Jamaica's history, um, continue now because again, world accumulation. Um, so if we're thinking about Jamaica history outside of those who are white, um, and again, that is defined differently in Jamaica than it is in the U.S. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, white in Jamaica includes those of Syrian, um, Lebanese descent, Middle Eastern descent, etc. Right. So right. if we're looking at those, and actually some mixed race individuals who are very light skinned Jamaican, we would just call them white. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we're thinking about that as white and thinking that again because Syrians um were in Jamaica and Jews were in Jamaica from Spanish colonization which is 1494 up until 1655 right they didn't go away they were always there and they were never on the slavery on the title slavery so they were free to mm. be right so think about that accumulation of wealth of the merchants continuing on to know, even those who were mixed race, progenies of um, white plantation owners and slaves, right? Um, there was a lot of privilege granted based on skin color in Jamaica mm-hmm. because of this. So it ranged from mixed children. I mean, look at our first um, premier, right? Yes. Being able to go to school and educated in England. Right. So even with that, some of them are even overseers of plantations, um, mixed children. Right. So thinking about that history, having access to education and ergo, because education is very much connected to economic outcomes in terms of what occupation you hold. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, they have generational wealth because if their family are plantation owners, slave owners, um, there is money that is passed along the generation with that. Right. So mm-hmm. even though enslaved Africans were freed in Jamaica in what, 1838, that does not change all that lack of generational work that they've had up until then. Mm-hmm. And even though slavery was abolished, that did not automatically just change the position of Afro-Jamaicans, African descent Jamaicans over time. Right. Right. So when people, so that's what I'm saying, like class and race are very intimately tied. So this mm-hmm. is obviously not to say that there aren't um, Black Jamaicans who have been able to um, secure some measure of wealth. Obviously, right. that's not the discussion. But if we keep as a people looking at those who were able to accumulate some form of wealth, we're missing the picture. Mm. Because that is not the majority of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I made like a controversial post on my personal page because, you know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and I was very surprised at the feedback. Um, I said um, there there's a lot of the same thing you said, where there's a lot of generational wealth mm-hmm. that has been passed down from the descendants of slave owners that we still see now in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And some people responded, um, oh, they didn't even recognize that. But that, that's going to bring me to another question I had, because we are, when we look at how we define, like you said, how we define who is a white person, we kind of put Middle Eastern in the same, the, you know, the same category, whereas in the States, there's mm-hmm. like a very distinct 
line drawn with who is categorized as being white. But I, I want to get to that further on with it, the motto and everything. But when mm-hmm. I said that, it was so funny that people weren't really thinking about it. Like there was a lot of slave owners that transferred their wealth down to generations that were, they're still benefiting from. Right. So also to add to Go that, ahead. Is like, there are very active ways in which the government since post like abolition of slavery has actively worked to maintain the situation. So it's not like, oh, mm. it happened in slavery and so slavery is now abolished. So like, oh, that's all generational wealth. No, there were very active ways in this, which this dynamic was maintained over time. And so that is my also issue that I try to bring out in my work on colorism and race in the Anglophone Caribbean is that this is not something that is passive. This is not like, oh, the residual of slavery. No, this is something that is uh, very intentional and it's proactively done. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's my issue. It's not like, oh, this is the way we think about people in terms of who is light and et cetera, et cetera. No, this thing is systematic. And I think we need to get, we need, we need to get, we need to understand that as a people. Right. It's not just like people for whatever reason should be called. And people always like using education as um a way to escape these things. I mean, people in power and government who make policies are very educated. That mm-hmm change that policies work adverse to affect different people by race right (laughs) all right so um so we kind of discussed you know just kind of the basis of the you know not being able to dis to distinguish we shouldn't be distinguishing race and class because it they're really intertwined since the beginning of slavery right so but do you in your research have you seen a relationship with race, the same, you know, classism and access to opportunity and education. Have you seen a direct relationship with with that? Yes. And then so um, so I've used a data. Um, um, the date name of the data is Latin American Public Opinion Poll. And so this has been collected in a lot of um, South American countries, Spanish-speaking Caribbean countries, and a few English-speaking um, Caribbean countries, including Haiti, um, which is like just from the Francophone, but the French-speaking Caribbean. And so what I do in my research in like using this data that also that has race and skin color, and in addition to using census, Jamaican census data, um, is that I would control for income. And this just simply means that whatever models, um, status models I'm running, when I have race and skin color measures in there, I also, I always include income to see if these effects are um, changed in any way by income being in the picture, right? And then, so what I find in my research is that even when I'm controlling for income or looking at income, the class of people, it does not change the effects of race, right? So despite um, class of individuals, race still has very strong outcomes in terms of educational outcome. Um, Again, how much years of education one has, uh, it still has effects on income, right? And how this is household income that I'm looking at, right? Overall. So one of the other measures I also use is access to household amenities. So things like having an indoor bathroom, indoor plumbing, having a a washing machine, things like those in the home, right? 
that again, despite class of individuals, race is very still important. Race and skin color are very important in terms of who actually has these amenities in their home. Right. Right. Yeah. So again, so like outside of class, so this is not to say that class is not important, but race is still significant in determining these accessed opportunities despite the class of people. Right. And you know what's funny? I, I remember just growing up and I would hear people say even something as simple as access to travel. so people would would say oh no man them not give no black people no visa man you have to be indian or or white or so just growing up and hearing that also with just you know access outside of 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 even the education system right and then think about this too in terms of jamaica a lot of people use visual cues to sort of estimate people's class in Jamaica. Mm. One of those visual cues is skin color. Yes. Right. So regardless of what people's actual class is, there are a lot of assumptions made by others who are going to then treat them in particular ways based mm-hmm. on what they're interpreting to be their class, based on their um, race or skin color. That's true. And I think I, that, that is a very, very good point because it's, it's the optics that guides people sometimes. So it's skin color, it's hair type, it's how you speak, right? Mm-hmm. So like, these are all cues people are using to assume um, class. And so like for parts of my dissertation, um, right, I did interviews um, with um, Jamaicans talking about a lot of these issues. And something I remember very strongly from one of my interviews is... Um, they were talking about their friend being from one of the wealthiest families in Jamaica, but they're dark skin. And then, so when they're mm. at a bar, the bartender is looking at them and saying that they have to pay for every drink. They can't open a tab. Hmm. So despite hmm. that person actual class, the assumption was that because of her skin shade, she was not able to afford opening a tab. She had, they want yes. her, right. And having people make comments like, the only man that gonna be interested in her is pe- man who love chicken back. <gasps> yeah, girl. <laughs> right. And you know, chicken back is like a euphemism for class yes. as well in terms yes. of for the whole chicken. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I'm, and listen, I'm happy you're saying this now because people tend to tend to think that it's not actually happening in Jamaica. This is an American racism thing or out of many one people. No. Right. That really is in, a thing in Jamaica, and again, it's like um. Also, I want to tap into like the ra- race and class, right? So, like, even the wealthier you are in Jamaica, the more non-black people or the more non-black your circle is, right? So mm. then, if you think about all the parties that are hosted in Jamaica. Let's let's make it real outside. Mm-hmm. Of my, right? mm-hmm. If you go to the very very uptown ones, right? Mm-hmm. You see a lot of different racial group of people to the point yeah. where you're just like, is this Jamaica? No, you're right. So even within that itself, it shows you that race and class is tied. Because the more exclusive things you go to in Jamaica, if you can afford to go to them, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Is That's when you see less and less darker skin, less and less black people in that space. So that again shows you a lot right there and then. No, Absolutely. And I think it, it's it's kind of funny you said that because I have 
when you mentioned Trinidad, I have so much to say about that just for carnival, <laughs> but I'll just keep it to Jamaica. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I remember seeing a post with a wedding that I think Beanie Man was performing at mm-hmm. and it was all white Jamaicans. Mm-hmm. And I remember people saying, wait, that has, that cannot be Jamaica. Like, <laughs> there is no way there was a circle of people dancing because Beanie Man was performing. There mm-hmm. had to be a, at least 75 to 100 people. And at the back of the, um, you know, like the space that they were using was a line of servers who were mm-hmm. all black, all dark skin. Right. And right. everybody on the dance floor was white. And this, when I tell you, the, the comment section mm-hmm. was insane because people were like, there is no way this is Jamaica, but you're right. The, the, it, it would appear that the more access to wealth that you have in certain businesses, because we all know there's, there's the legal and there's the other side, right? right? That is more, no, but there's more, um, there's less people that look like me. Um, and people don't want to admit that that is a thing. And I feel also too, there's one, one thing that I also feel strongly about too. I feel like a lot of people, even if they are, you know, you know, black or African, Afro Jamaicans, mm-hmm. um, sometimes they benefit from being like the token, mm-hmm. um, where they're the only one in with that access and they keep it that way. You know, I've seen that also. I don't know if you've kind of encountered that, but that's something that I've also seen. So what actually happens is they kind of protect the image of that circle. But hey, I can't be um, racist. I can't be a classist. See, I have this friend here <laughs> who is actually black. So right. and and they, they are not really held accountable for it. So right, that yeah. is because I even thinking about personal anecdotes several times growing up in Jamaica, taking the minibus. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard you live here. A light-skinned girl like you, not, you know, it's supposed to live in Cherry Garden. Ah. So many times. Even going to college, there are a lot of Jamaicans at my college on my track team because my coach was Jamaican and we recruited a lot of Jamaicans there too, right? Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of my teammates who didn't know me because I wasn't friends with them in Jamaica. We didn't go to the same school. Right. All of them assumed that I was, I grew up wealthy. Right? Mm. All of them. And so talking to my coach, my coach obviously knows where I'm from because, you know, he recruited me. He came to my home, spoke to my mother, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. And then my coach was even blatant. He was just like, Monique, it's because of your skin color and how you speak. They're all mm-hmm. making assumptions, right? Even making comments about, like, I probably got beat as a child if I spoke patois. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, okay, because I couldn't care less. And I'm not going to give you my whole life story. Yeah, but. Yeah, you know. No, but that's that's good to point out because, like I said, the optics. I've heard it. I've seen. I think I, I went into a supermarket once and I saw this girl. That she was at the cashier and the man. I mean, I was standing there. Another black girl was behind me and the girl was cashing us out. And the guy was in front of me and he's like, "You're not supposed to work as so pretty browning like you're not supposed to work as so." And I'm like, "Wow, okay, so that should have been that should have been us." <laughs> 
That's what you're, that's what you're saying. <laughs> it should have been us. Right. Those <laughs> comments are so pervasive. I know, but it's like nobody really calls them out for what they are because I don't think people really think about it and have the right words to use outside of just anger and an argument, you know, to have that kind of conversation. And that's one of the ways circumvented from talking about these things, right? Because it's always like, oh, it's just anecdote. Oh, it's ignorant black people who not Mm -hmm. They don't know what to point to, so they're pointing at these issues. Mm-hmm. No, they're speaking true. But again, these are all these ways that people's claims are always legitimized. Like they push down people's claims of like what really is happening. Yeah. And then so even for people who may be um, poor in Jamaica, even for themselves, if they do point at class and point at class more, it, uh, it makes sense, obviously, because they're not in the spaces. They're not able to get into the spaces where they would clearly see the connection between race and class, right? Because, again, it's about access. Mm-hmm. Access to that space. So again, if you're not able to see it, of yeah. course, you would also say race don't matter because you're not in the space to see it very clearly. Mm-hmm. And, and also, back to the class thing, even with schools, like... Right. Um, I mean, if you went to a certain school, I, well, I'm going to say prep school because I think high school was like the great equalizer, not in all sense, but you know, in some ways, <laughs> in some, in some ways, mm-hmm. um, in, you know, if you attended a prep school and it, it's usually people who, you know, if, well, from me, I'm from rural Jamaica is what I call it. That's, that's really what it was like the Chinese, the Indian, the white kids, those were the kids who attended it. So the, the handful of black kids who went there, it was like, Oh, you know, obviously people wanted to find out oh, how you reach it <laughs> basically. And it's so true because I just, uh, uh, not too long, like a week ago, went to a presentation by another Jamaican. Um, I think he now works in Jamaica at the bank. I, I don't remember. But I went to his presentation and, and he was talking about the economic positions of blacks in Jamaica. And so he mentioned like he's never seen a white Jamaican until like a few years ago. And mm-hmm. that's no shade to that person. But mm-hmm. that he told a lot. That's mm-hmm. a lot right in in terms of like your exposure and being in the same circles as people who are non-black no, absolutely right. and i think you um you kind of mentioned um like just slavery and i think we can i had a question about the colonialism but i think you kind of touched on it because it started in slavery but you you did mention that just the after effect of colonialism was kind of allowed to go on because of certain practices or policies. Is there, is there anything you can touch on with that? Like how an example of how these things have been institutionally allowed Mm -hmm. to, to, to carry on to today. Right. So I'll just talk a bit more about like 1830s. And so like Jamaica also had caste system based on skin color. So like, a hierarchy based on skin color. So like terms like, we've all probably heard a mulatto, um, mm-hmm. terms like quadrant octunes also existed in Jamaica, right? In terms of defining um, um, how much percentage of white ancestry mm-hmm. um, someone had, right? And then so 
even in Jamaica, right, there are a lot of petitions that were made by mixed race individuals to be claimed as legally white. Mm. Right. So um, what is that book? I had to move my bookcase, but um, mm. right, there's like a dark heritage. I forgot Lipsey, right? So he talks about that too, um, where there's a lot of petitions that were made to England to be classified as legally white. Because again, white means that certain inheritance laws would not apply to them. So they'd be able to inherit. Mm. property and slave etc right so there are a lot of things that were done so even though even up until 18th century it didn't really have a lot of practical value but people still did it if they could afford to make these petitions this is a way to distinguish themselves from blacks hmm. um interesting right and then so there was that happening in jamaica and then so even after slavery right um thinking about that didn't change who still had access to education and being schooled outside of Jamaica, right? Um, So let me see. So after slavery was abolished, right, Jamaica also tried to um, incorporate an apprentice system, which was very similar to the U.S. in terms of like having apprenticeship sharecroppers, right? However, Jamaican Blacks were not for it. They were not for it because it was very close. To, it was very close to slavery. So they weren't, they weren't about that life, right? And that's when Jamaica then went to getting indentured servants from China, mm-hmm. right? And that was, they were placed in direct competition to previous enslaved Black. Because again, you're totally displacing them from work because mm-hmm. they don't want to work under the oppressive system of apprenticeship, which was no different from slavery, Right. right. So we have that and that competition that um, exists in Jamaica and there are other policies that were passed because, again, Jamaica was still under British rule, even though we had, well, independence wasn't at that point yet, right? So even still having a governor general, we still have strong connections with England that way, right? So even thinking about um, politics, um, parties and so forth, right? Even though a lot, of, a lot of people like to talk about like Norman Mann and Alexander Bustamante as um, heroes for um, working class, um, for workers, right? Unions. Right, right. Union. Mm-hmm. But again, even that says a lot, right? The type of jobs that um, Blacks in Jamaica could have in terms of agriculture and some of that being displaced by indentured servitude, right? Education of Blacks didn't change a lot during that time, but then you still had um, missing individuals with wealth who were still able to get educated. So again, that wasn't addressed in Jamaica, mm-hmm. right? And then so even though there were unions to fight for like worker rights, it still was not changing the fact that Blacks in Jamaica only had access to certain type of jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. So one argument is like, yeah, they fought for worker rights and union rights. But what about building certain safeguards that Blacks could have other opportunities outside of agricultural work? that didn't exist in Jamaica, right? So like those things also go into play in terms of like discontinuation of policy. Another most um, apparent one is in terms of commercial licenses in Jamaica for those to own business, right? So in 1925 there about, even though the Chinese population was very small in Jamaica, they had 25% of all commercial licenses in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. 
right? So when if, if so that small small portion of the population having commercial licenses, obviously is going to tell you who is able to open businesses or not. Right. Right. And then when you think about lack of generational wealth, no sort of communal wealth in that sense, how would then individuals start businesses in Jamaica? Right. right. So active ways mean not just policies in terms of like connections with Britain and certain policies that they were passing over um, colonies still, but also the lack of addressing a lot of these issues in Jamaica. That's right, still right. the inequality. And so I so you mentioned um the Indian indentured workers um, and and they kind of came in and they were like competition because the blacks um, decided that they didn't want to work on that apprenticeship. Right. Mm -hmm. So did we kind of see, because to be honest, like looking around in Jamaica, especially in a lot of the tourist towns or the major cities, a lot of the larger businesses, wholesale businesses, appliance stores, um, certain distribution companies, they are actually run by Indians and the Chinese. So right. did in your research or, you know, looking at kind of like the data, did they kind of have like a head start? Was there certain things that were put in place to ensure that that wealth that they were building for themselves was kind of protected? Were there any like special um, policies in place for them? Or was this a situation where it was just a, a competition that, you know, a lot of Afro, Afro Jamaicans just lost? Right. And then so there are several factors that play into that. Um, so one way Chinese indentured sir, um, servitude. Right. So I think where it gets complicated is that we need to look at the different waves of immigrants coming in. Right. So mm -hmm. there, there are those who came um, from indentured servitude. There were those in 18th, um, 18th century. There are those who came later, close to the 19th century, who were mostly entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. right? Meaning that they already had businesses. They already had a lot of wealth when they were migrating to Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Right? So obviously someone who's relative or if you're just coming in as a business owner already into Jamaica, migrating to Jamaica, obviously you definitely have more capital, more money to open a business as opposed to Blacks who conditions did not better with ending our slavery in Jamaica. All right. Yes. So there's that component in terms of who is migrating in. Um, also, there are definite ways in which the British colonial authority played into this, right? Because before indentured servitude, the British um, colonial authority had set up Chinese and, and overall um, East Indians as ideal candidates, right? So what they purported were that Chinese, particularly Chinese in particular, were ideal workers because they're um, industrious, et cetera, et cetera, right? So they had all these positive stereotypes or connotations attached to Chinese workers, why they would be better for the economy than Blacks, mm -hmm. right? And we hear it now. We still hear yes. it in terms mm -hmm. of like one Chinese man can do how much, how much Black man work, mm -hmm. right? We always hear these stereotypes. And again, those were things, these were claims that were purported by Britain themselves. Right. 
in terms of this because again it's not like jamaicans we weren't in charge to then say we're not going to take um indentured servants from china and um, east india india right mm -hmm. that was the british colonial authority that decided that so mm. um this is not to say that these indentured servants did not face harsh conditions right because yeah. you know everybody duped in capitalism right 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 that way. So that's as we see now <laughs> right. so it's not to dismiss their struggle at all but there mm -hmm. are very active ways in which policies did prefer them right mm -hmm. so um economic standing of east indians as merchants um this was done to variable governmental policies i'm blanking on what specifics to this are but the source are like johnson 2005 nichols 1986 so there has been work on all these policies uh, favorable governmental policies east indians that happened also in terms of there were measures actually that that took place separate east indians from black jamaicans from mm. united against um against exploitation right so i know there have been discussions about skin color and in marrying and again, that's mm -hmm. what, as you said, like protect their capital or their wealth, right? So right. definitely with the Chinese community, you see that as well, right? In terms of limiting and even restricting um, to a large degree out marriage. Right, right, right. Uh, still continues now. Um, so again, even though Jamaica like to present, even again, there are mixed race individuals of Afro and Chinese descent. This is not to say mm -hmm. everybody, but there were active ways in which this was done to maintain that separateness, right? And then so Chinese immigrants, later waves coming in with that wealth, you can see where they come, what sociologists refer to it is like parallel institutions. Meaning that, so where you have institutions that serve the whole Jamaican public, they made similar institutions that only served them. Mm. Right, so the Chinese Association, and there are several, several other associations that were created that only serve Chinese individuals, right? Wow. And then similarly um, with East Indians, right, creating these institutions that were only beneficial to them. So again, if you think about um, being in Jamaica, and again, Jamaican people, because I mean, that's why, that's one of the reasons why you had the 1865 rats, right, our own work. Mm -hmm and all of that right 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 so again this is not to say jamaicans particularly black jamaicans took this sitting down but that didn't change to a large degree what policies were in place um or even lack of policies preventing upward mobility for chinese so like open businesses in jamaica right because again if you think about ownership of land etc those who have the money to even buy land um build a store can buy products and all that um buy products to sell right that's mm -hmm. part of their immigration network they still have connection to um people in china they still have access yes. to people in india they still have access to all those networks that can mm -hmm. provide money that can provide some partner some startup fund right so and these, goods and goods access right, to the goods and goods right and then jamaicans but jamaicans don't have that slavery we were kidnapped <laughs> right, right. Are no um networks that still existed in connection to whatever african tribe um individuals are from in jamaica black individuals are from in jamaica so obviously there is not that sort of international um relationship to like support whatever failures or lack of acceptance you might meet um they may meet in jamaica wow you know i didn't think about the network piece 
I didn't think that, yes, they do have family names and people that they know that will be able to facilitate some of the goods coming in. And, oh, yeah. That's the thing is, like, we don't think about where you think Jamaicans learn about partner from. Right. Right. <laughs> that right. That's from Chinese culture in terms of, I mean, they had a different name for it, but it's the mm. same everybody give a lot of money and one person get the pile and you keep adding in one person get the entire pile that is where jamaicans got partner from the idea to have a partner from and how partners work is from the chinese and and again that's another way that they would have a mass amount of capital again to then open businesses right yeah one of the practices that um particularly in the case of Chinese, again, because this is mostly what I write on currently um, in terms of looking at Chinese in the place of the nation, right, is that when they expand, they send for their relatives. Their relatives are the ones mm-hmm. that are coming in to open subsidiary businesses to take over. It is never Blacks. So I can even mm-hmm. know, right? Like, even though there's a lot of Black Jamaicans who work in these wholesales and stores, they're never the ones in charge. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So again, I, these boundaries where they keep their wealth within their community, right? Yeah. And I think that's where, as, as Black people, Jamaicans, that's where we fall short um the community building because yes i'm thinking about the partner but the the partner is not a community effort necessarily to okay we're gonna buy that shop um or we're going you know we're going to open that business together it's it's you know it's it's not like that whereas with the other communities it's really let's pull together to buy this this whole strip of buildings um but with that is that that points blame the sole blame at black people mm-hmm. and understandably agencies always important individual choice is always important but right. at the same time is that it's not necessarily the fault of black people that that is right because mm-hmm. we think about being kidnapped ensuring that we were put yes. on different estates that were where we don't speak the same tribal languages even how colorism was brought up, right, was by Willie Lynch, William Lynch, and he was in Barbados, right, and writing all of the colonels in Virginia in the U.S. now, right, in talking about how to keep black separate from uniting as a mm. friend, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, colorism was very strategic. <laughs> right, right. And those sort of things. And so, yeah, and it's very hard to have that community building when everyone is struggling, right? As yeah. I said, mm-hmm. we don't have these international ties. Some people may have them now in terms of like having relatives that Abroad. live in the mm-hmm. and those and those type of things. But when you think about like having that link from 1858, <laughs> right. And then just having that knowing the 2000s or whenever, 19, whatever, to travel, to have those type of connections. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're absolutely right, because having that, the community building right now is difficult because people are trying to survive. I'm trying to pay the school fee. I'm trying to keep JPS all, <laughs> all my business. So <laughs> I do understand that. Um, but you did make a good point about now. I do see a lot of Jamaicans abroad trying to build communities here mm-hmm. with like their existing family. 
um, trying to buy, um, trying to purchase land, trying to, you know, start businesses. Um, So that is one light (laughs) at the end of the tunnel in terms of just the community, because I've always asked myself why that is happening why is it that we're not able to build community we're able to come together for so many different things Mm -hmm. but we kind of miss the mark with uniting for just kind of building our community and businesses and saving and and I, I I'm sure that there's that's a whole psychological piece to it that we need to unpack um mm-hmm. but that's always something I always wondered about how are we not focused on trying to build together there's a lot of division so what you pointed out was was real because there is kind of like a uh, a higher effort <laughs> to um to and, divide and, and then there's another component to it too right is like even within my own family right so I am an academic <laughs> mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um according to social class organization I was a middle class upper middle class whatever right and then so even when we see individuals who quote unquote make it right are able to earn they're one among few in their entire family Mm-hmm. So then there's even more pressure on that person to like <laughs> help bring up everyone, right? And when you, again, we think about generational wealth, and a lot of people's wealth are in their houses, owning their homes, right? right. And that, that bring. But when you think about where poor people or working class individuals in Jamaica grew up and have homes, it's not high valued areas. Mm-hmm. So the equity is much lower. They don't have houses up on the hill. <laughs> Listen, I, don't get me started on that because I was just having this conversation about home ownership in certain areas and how 10, 15 years ago, a lot of people sold out their homes in the rural areas to try to find some other area in the city. And mm-hmm. what happened is like a lot of these rural areas now are the sought after places where people are building villas and um, property no, prices. You can't even afford to buy any piece of land here. Exactly. And I, I'd see a lot of people... Um, and, and I want to actually have someone on the show to talk about this because I saw someone post that says, don't sell your grandmother's home. And um, there are lots of people who want to, you know, kind of go back to Jamaica and like um, formalize their properties that they have and, and claim it rightfully and get the right paperwork and, and do it. But then there are a lot of people who don't see the value. And then someone else sees it, <laughs> usually with a network of wealth and right. buys, you know, acres and acres and, and develops it. And, and then, you, you know, we're all, we're all up in arms about it. But there's there's so much to unpack here. Um, I out of many one people um, personally, I don't like the model. <laughs> I might be the only person on the planet that doesn't like it. Um, but I think the reason why I think to, to be honest, and, and I would like to get your viewpoint on it too. Um, I really feel like it's a shield sometimes because we aren't really looking at how, um, how much harm, you know, our, black Jamaicans have endured with just this pretense that we're all the same and we all have access to the same opportunities. And mm-hmm. I, 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 I always struggle with embracing that motto. So I'd like to hear what you kind of think about it. 
right and then so this totally goes back to my dissertation and papers that I'm trying to get out right now for publication <laughs> and I'm also of the same mindset so there are several scholars who are of the same mindset so like Carolyn Cooper has said before that out of many one people marginalize black Jamaicans because it makes mm. the case of Jamaica mixers mm. by saying out of many one people right and so Mazaki mm. Tim she also talks about um sort of like this brown what do you call it brown nationalism right because if you think Ooh. about who coined the term out of many one people it was Norma Manley he helped coin that term right mm. and then so part of her argument and my own argument as well is that that obviously justified him being in charge being someone who is mixed race for a majority mm. nation. So how do you get people to vote you in by presenting this sort of you is create an ideology or try to incorporate everyone to sort of quell dissensions happening in the, in the, in the, in society. Right. So again, Norma Manley put this forward, um, out of many. And I mean, there have been several talks about how seeing brown people as superior race and all of that sort of thing, but it, but it, but it definitely does. Um, because, Several, well, riots were happening around Rodney Walter, um, happening mm-hmm. in the 1970s, right? Um, Ota Many One was just, um, well, not too long established, like a few decades before, right? Mm-hmm. But definitely, I think it is used to shield a lot of this discussion about race and color and how it affects people's class position and opportunities in Jamaica, right? So having it not just... Um, Delegitimizing Norman Manley's um, vice premiership, if there's such a word, yes. right? Um, for him being in charge, but definitely because every time there is discussions about race in Jamaica, people always go, "That's the U.S. You probably live in the U.S. too." Mm. Um, yes. We're all Jamaican <laughs> people. Um, we're all mixed, so this don't matter, and. Jamaica may be a mixed society racially, but I feel like that is a mindset. And we're more mixed in terms of culture, sure, but that it really does hide that, hide oh hide um these discussions. So examples I want to bring up is like I know there was the whole controversy with one of the Miss Jamaicas. (laughs) <laughs> there was there were many i feel like every single year there's a controversy because you want well yeah there's always a controversy because the girls who they pick for miss jamaica yes are yes. more they're only been like what two queens yes i remember terry carell and um sarah grace when they won um miss jamaica world and yeah they, they were one of the few Right, but even Terika, even though she's darker skin, she's still mixed race. Yes, 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 you're right, you're right, right? you're right. So even Lisa Anna is not the, well, people may or may or not consider her light skin, but the fact is, what is she, right? right. So again, it's still mixed race people they're intellecting that have certain features, right? Mm. In addition to like certain skin color. And so every year, people, the discussion of colorism comes up and people always come back to, we're out of many one people, of course, um, they're Jamaicans that look like this. Okay, I understand that. But how much of the population is that actually representing? Davina, she is who I was trying to remember. Davina <laughs> with the Afro. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think she was like, and so th- this, oh man, I, it's really, is problematic. It is. Yeah. Really- because I remember even when Davina won, people were upset that she had her fro. And I was like, this is how our hair grows out of our head. So mm-hmm. if we can't accept that, it was like, yeah, man, she needs to press out the hair and, and blow it out. And Right, because if you look at tourism ads like in 1960s, right, there are ads that would show a lighter skin mixed race individual and say like um, she has Irish, um, Indian, mm-hmm. German, Afro. She's pure Jamaican. Right. So again, signaling this this sort of oneness being out of many, but being one. And also going back to what Magzaki Tim talks about in terms of if you view people as like being just one despite our differences, it's it then says that there is no race, right? Mm-hmm. You're sort of trying to create this um, belief. Neutral mutual ancestor or some mm-hmm. mixing because for Jamaican people we don't care what we mix with right if we yeah. hear a little bit we say yeah we mix with Indian right True. so so, so that, that that is that is the concept like we don't have whatever which is actually I should say more working class people maybe because I I find that my friends who are upper middle class upper class are very specific in terms of what they're mixed with hmm and taking pride in knowing, right, 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 right. Um, in what ancestry they have outside of African ancestry. But anyway, yeah. coming back to this point is that like, if you present the nation as being a racial democracy, as being non-racial by saying we're all one people, because all of us mix, so we're all the same. Mm-hmm. It presents the narrative or give the front that race doesn't matter such a society. Right. Because, again, going back to Norman Manley, again, as I said, he's the one who helped coin this motto. Him having given international speeches about like nowhere in the world has there been so much progress being made where color and race don't matter. Mm. Right. And he's quoted saying this by um, Rex Netterford and other scholars. Right. So, again, even presenting this image. And again, if you keep saying race doesn't matter. And then so when issues of like black nationalism um, came about in Jamaica with Marcus Garvey and so forth. Right. His Mm -hmm. um, response to that was like these ideas don't belong to us. Right. And they're only things that are being used to cause dissension and cause disharmony and cause some type of diversion between us as a people. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, that's how um, Jamaicans have deal with this out of many one, right? And again, you can see it's not true. Even just thinking about how oh, Alexander Bustamante dealt with Rastafarians, right? Ooh, whew, listen, <laughs> don't, don't get me started about that, you know, because there's so many aspects of our history that we just want to forget. Right, um, and then it's like we gloss over these things. And then so it's like I have a, one of my presentations before I graduated my PhD, on YouTube, right? And then reading the comments are always just funny to me, right? And then, so when I talk, again, I'm talking about colorism and I am not unaware that my skin color mm. makes people, uh, people may have issues with that as someone who, quote unquote, is considered lighter skin talking about colorism, right? right. Um, but at the same time, it's like when I talk about colorism, people always go like, 
there are people much lighter than you in Jamaica. Like I have a relative who is lighter than you and I have somebody who darker skin, but then in my family, they are a lawyer. Okay. Mm. That's your family. What does that say about the entire population? Nothing. Right. And then, so it's just like every time when particularly with Jamaicans and I do my research and stuff like that, it's always presenting their personal narratives of how out of many mm. people is just um, that their family's representation of that, that there are so many different races and so many skin color in their family, but everyone somehow finds success. Yes, your personal story does not negate what census data says. Mm-hmm. And I think people have some... Yeah, and I think people had so much pride with saying they're mixed. That's what that's what always gets me. <laughs> it was just like it is, it is. And again, you know, like the the, the sort of belief that no one are fully back in Jamaica because of this. And then mm. so Jamaica is a very interesting place where I think um people outward looking looking at the nation um from the outside see Jamaica as a black nation. Yes. Right? But no, I think this, especially the, the the idea of like out of many one people where even if someone is very dark skin in Jamaica, it gives them premise to say I am mixed and they can sort of like dismiss their blackness by saying I am mixed because everybody, everybody mixed. It's all. Everybody mixed. My granny, a coolie from my mother's side. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right and then it's so it's so funny but again i feel like it's definitely used to delegitimate people's claims even oh perfectly skin bleaching in jamaica yes that's that was my next question because i know that this was happening for years mm-hmm. now when it hopped into the music mm-hmm. and it's I mean, obviously, social media is exacerbating it and people are making a business from these products. I mean, it's not unique to Jamaica. We see this in Southeast Asia where skin bleaching is like right. mind-blowing. East Asia too. You know, people always... Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah so that's one thing with skin like People always think is um, stereotypical darker skin populations, which again, there is... There's, yeah. But, but yeah, the skin bleaching even shows like... So one thing I have with skin bleaching, and this is like work that I plan to do, is like the government practically always addresses it as pathology. So there mm. are several documentaries done on skin bleaching. You can just look on YouTube. Yes. And find them. What yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the discussion is always somehow these people hate themselves. Why would you? Mm. Yeah. Why would they do it when it has so many medical repercussions? Right. The pigment and blah blah blah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. So why are we not also talking about why people feel the need to lighten their skin? Mm. If mm. skin color, lighter skin, did not grant privilege, people would not be lightening them skin. Oof. They would their skin. Point blank. Period. Like if there was not privilege attached to it individuals will not be lightening them they're lightening their skin and then so discussion about pathology and then so so instead of thinking about that pathology it is strategic right because if i know that people are going to make assumptions about my language capability how Mm -hmm. smart i am how capable i am based on my skin color why would i not want that that's true when we're not we're not addressing it because we have to talk about it and nobody wants to have that uncomfortable 
uncomfortable conversation about how we're still affected by this and there are people who still propagate this and still, you know, allow this to continue. Right. I, and, then, I, and also the discussion that skin lightening is like a working class pathology. Oh, no, because you can go to your dermatologist and get a prescribed right, one and do right, that. But, right. but you can go down a tone and get the little right. very white. <laughs> it's exactly. different, right? It's different. It's very different. If you can afford a pill, you can do whatever you need to do. Yeah. Exactly. Not as that you're lightening one part of your body or whatever. But again, mm-hmm. that's the that's the outward facing narrative that the government is very active in creating in Jamaica too. Again, mm. all when they have all these documentaries and they call all these health professionals. And when they have these interviews that people who like them skin, who them I interview? Working class yeah, people. It's working class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is the message being said that it's a working class pathology? No, it's not. Because again, the very pre- the very fact that when men kept calling Jamaica, they said browning. Yes. They yes. don't need to see how you look. Them, them, all them see the skin color and call out to you and can't call you, right? Yeah, exactly. From no. the very fact that that exists right even still narratives about like wanting your picnic for have pretty hair and lights oh i hate that term if you use that around me that's it like don't don't <laughs> just there don't reasons, I mean, there are reasons these there are reasons these things exist it's not yeah. a, again it's more than self-hate it is strategic strategic yes because I, I think something you said earlier too about the access that people had to certain things when they could claim their whiteness, um, right. when they could petition the queen to say, Hey, I'm register me as white, please. So I can get this access subconsciously that kind of, you know, had a ripple effect throughout the generation because you know, now the lighter I am, the, the, the better in your, in your definition of what better is my hair looks, mm-hmm. um, I can be accepted in certain circles. Um, and that that's so like we've seen in the US where we have specific um, explanations for certain things that happen to the black community, whether it's laws or, you know, practices that still kind of somehow trickle down. We have specific um, laws and specific practice the same way in Jamaica. And we don't necessarily know about them. Because similarly, the same way people argue that, oh, the U.S. the U.S. education system is lacking with certain things. Mm-hmm. I feel like certain things in Jamaica we weren't taught. Um, also, um, a lot of people didn't know about this, the Bustamante and, and the Rastafarian. Like, where did we learn that? Nobody, nobody told us that. It was, it was still being done in our education system to shield us from some of you know, some of the things that were being done to people who, who looked like me, you know what I mean? So I, I, I think this is like an awesome conversation to have. Right. And then, so like, you know, people talk about like Michael Manley and Siaga, right? And I'm not talking about, and again, I'm not talking about IMF. What I'm talking about when Michael Manley was prime minister in 1970s, right? He used like Rastafarian rhetoric and very like pro-black narratives, right? So like, he would be like black man time now, right? Mm-hmm. He created social programs that help entrepreneurship between, for black um, 
Jamaicans, right? What happened when Michael Manley was prime minister, and Deborah Thomas talks about this a lot, and other scholars, is that a lot of mixed race wealthy people left Jamaica. They weren't with me. Thank you they for saying Jamaica. They left Jamaica. And that was also why one of the reasons why a lot of manly social pro- um, um, programs fail, right, in creating revenue because of they're taking, if you have that capital flight leaving the country, all that capital leaving the country. Mm. Right? When Siago came into power, um, he abolished all of Michael Manley's social program for Black people. Point blank. That is fact. I'm not talking about IMF and the good and bad of IMF loans and all of that. I am- Listen, I am happy that you are saying this as a scholar because it's very difficult to have this conversation without it being politicized in Jamaica. So carry on. (laughs) I am happy. Right. And I don't have this. I grew up in a GLP community, but fact is fact. (laughs) No, 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 no. Right. When Siago came into power, he abolished all of it. And then so also when Siago came into power, the wealthy returned to Jamaica, the wealthy mixed Mm. race to jamaica right so obviously it is not necessarily whatever policies were in place but you have if you have capital coming back into the country outside of loans obviously that is going to help the country prosper right Mm. not a political thing there are things that were actively done by politicians to advocate certain agendas right and that is just what it is in jamaica so this is not about policy or being pmp being jlp this is actual fact facts of what policies were put in place to benefit black people mixed race message to both jamaicans never like it they left jamaica they came back when manly was out of power when michael and- manly was out of power so he was trying to push democratic socialism right and right so obviously that's not going to fly and again having very similar policies and sympathizing with castro and cuba situation like that right and again like jamaica does not exist in a vacuum exists in a global society mm-hmm. being very close to the u.s is capitalists and they want access to jamaican resources which is what we see now in terms of right and again, so, right. So that was manly sort of thing, having better communications and better interactions with Cuba and also other African nations that were gaining independence around the same time Jamaica had gained independence in the 1960s and 70s, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the agenda that manly pushed, right? That was not what was pushed. It was uh, completely obliterated uh, with Tiago and his connections with Reagan um, in the US, right? So... These are things that have been done. But again, when we keep talking about this out of many one, mm-hmm. right? when we talk about like people who bleach only hate themselves. Right. It, I'm, I'm happy you're explaining that because even for me, just kind of learning that. And then it's like between, I, I didn't start thinking about this as much until I left Jamaica. I will say that mm-hmm. because you're kind of outside looking in and what, was like the light bulb was I'm seeing the issues in the United States and I'm saying but wait hold on no we actually do have similar issues it manifests in different ways and its origin is different but we have similar systems but not really fully getting that knowledge and had to go research for myself because I have they don't teach us this in school, like in, in high school, I should say. You really have to seek out this kind of information. This is not a part of Caribbean history. Um, a lot of what we, we learn. So we really have to like make an effort to, to, to get that information. And it's hard to talk about it. Um, so a lot of these 
issues aren't fully explained or examined because people still want to be, you know, affiliated with a certain um, political party. Right. And then so to me, it's like you can still be affiliated with a political party, but that doesn't mean you can't be critical. I right. life of me can never understand how people can support, how people think being critical is somehow like equivalent to hate. Mm-hmm. Right. I hold them accountable. Right, like you I love myself as a person. Does that mean that I don't have introspective moments to better myself? Right. Does that exactly. Mean I criticize things that I do to make myself better. Mm-hmm. Does criticizing myself mean that I hate myself? No, it's the same thing. You can still love something, and because you love it, you want it to be better. And you, I mean, if, as if, as even as a parent, you love your picnic, but if them do wrong, you beat them. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, absolutely. You correct them. That is exactly what it is. So you can still be a political party, but that does not mean you can't call things out when you when they are wrong. Or what better? That's not how that works. Those things are not mutually exclusive. That that is I listen, Monique. I am so happy that we're having this conversation because I feel like this is something that is just really like a good base for people to really start critically thinking. And I had like a final question. And um what do you think? can be done now like we have children impressionable growing up now in a society that the world that they're seeing now is very black and white Mm -hmm. um I think we had a period where we're in like this but it's kind of cracked open right now so what do you kind of say to like Jamaicans in the diaspora in, in living in Jamaica who um what can they do now to kind of shift the narrative going forward Right. And then so first I'll start with what I think the government can do and other governmental governing bodies in Jamaica can do. So other organizations, I should say. Jamaica needs to start collecting race and skin quality on things. <laughs> they mm-hmm. need because that again, you can always say race don't matter and skin color don't matter if you're not collecting the data to show it. Mm-hmm. You can always say that, right? Because you're not collecting the data to show it. So Jamaica has always been urged by the UN's elimination of racial discrimination to have policies that address um, colorism and racism. And Jamaica always responds by saying, yes, we had a history of slavery and skin color still matters a residual of slavery, but we really don't have no problem. We're all living together harmoniously. There are literal UN documents you can actually read these responses that are open source, right? And that's how Jamaica... Mm -hmm response to this right so first of all after there needs to be data that's collected that can more concretely show how race how skin color affect opportunities of people in the country right and therefore when we have these this evidence um making policies about these things right and mm-hmm. definitely having not just policies but having certain liens attached to them because again, as we see in the US, you can always have policies, but in terms of how and if those policies are actually acted upon mm-hmm. is a story, right? I think secondly, in terms of Jamaican people, um, of course, there is talking about and having these discussions, but why I stay away from making individual recommendations to people, because this will never change if the system does not change. Mm. 
So it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But in the larger scheme of things, it doesn't matter if I raise my child and tell my tell students in school that um, you shouldn't have value people's work based on skin color, hair type, or all these type of things are race, right? That does not change that when they go into the workforce, employers may have or certain opinions about them as a worker, the capability based on skin color, based on how they wear their hair, based on their race, etc. It does not change who has, has access to the upper echelon of Jamaican society. It does not change how wealth is dispersed or not dispersed in Jamaica. Mm. And then so that's why I stay away from giving personal recommendations to like get at your question, but more giving up these systematic changes that can be made in terms of having the data running analysis so there there so again we can't we just um um return to this argument it doesn't exist out of many (laughs) everybody look like you know and then having policies um tied to them in jamaica i think that's the way forward because then we can say to people that um, regardless of your race, regardless of your skin color, you have equal opportunity because that is actually the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah, I think it's important to have this, this people think about it and what it means just with your day to day interaction. I know That's- we talk about unconscious bias and, but there are certain things, even as black Jamaicans, we are also, um, we also have discriminatory things to say about our own, our own race, right. our own. Right. Because prejudice is equal opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> this is so we have to think about like how we are showing up, you know, in, in our communities and what we're saying and how we're, we're treating people based on where they're from, mm-hmm. you know, what they, which, which community they live, <laughs> you know, oh yeah, here, look, all of these things are things that we have to consciously think about when we're interacting with people. Say, so yes, the system is really, I'm just, I'm, I'm very intrigued and I would like to do a little bit more research on what you mentioned too about our responses to the UN about the race data mm-hmm. um, because that may have, who knows what that data may have shown or mm-hmm. what kind of change it may have propelled with just seeing it. Right. Um, yeah. And then so one other recommendation I would make, and we sort of touched on it too, right, um, is having, investigating the curriculum in Jamaica. <laughs> mm-hmm. Investigating, mm-hmm. as you said, right, not knowing about Coral Springs. That's something I learned as a researcher doing my own research on looking at stuff. Right. right. Most that's people not, won't know. Right. That's not something I was taught in high school. Right. And so... Yeah. I feel like even how critical thinking is taught to us, right? And then so they're national heroes. Yeah, but as I said, that doesn't mean we can't be critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all don't have to drink the Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think you I think you said it first, like when you start talking about race, they're like, oh no, you live a foreign too long. Then something that happened. Right. <laughs> Jamaica. But when you start breaking it down the way you did with this policy, this issue, this research, this, you really start seeing that we have a long way to go. And I think that's just my theory. Mm -hmm. If we start looking at the data that you're referring to, we may start 
having enough information to dig deeper to our bigger problems of crime, <laughs> not all of that. But we want to, you know, we want to like sweep it under the rug. It's not a big deal. But if we don't have the data, I mean, for everybody in corporate, you know, if you don't have data, you can't make decisions. Right. Um, right. And it's <laughs> time to like a there a side point is like how crime is punished. Wasn't there recently some issue in Jamaica where somebody was released for murder? Oh, just just the example of the X6 murder. The, the right, guy. Right, yes. Right. right. Yes. So again, it's just like skin color is more than just like, oh, light skin, whatever, whatever. It has real punished, real consequences in terms of how people are punished for crime. Mm-hmm. And I we see the same thing in the US. Right. And it plays out in Jamaica how people are punished in schools too. Oh yes. Your parents, the parents of the mixed or white kids are, you know, they their parents were called in. And if another kid, a black kid, did that, them get kicked out. So like and you will say that and people will people will try to like, you know to tell you that it doesn't exist but i saw that kids who would like they constantly are bad constantly right. and they would never get expelled because you don't want such and such's daughter um record to be spoiled because they can't get into this institution that they're trying to get ah it's a and cycle even probably to I mean you've seen it probably even done it myself get away murder something you said to teach us right in no punishment whatsoever right? no absolutely right so again that's what I'm saying it's more than just this oh um people like to minimize it you know what I mean but these have like very real life consequences on people's outcomes and their life chances because you're thinking about who kicked out of school what kind of job them gonna get you think about who is hired for what job etc et yes. these again it's have very real consequences these are not just yeah. anecdotes that can be swept under the rug by like we're all jamaican man we're all, we're all mixed <laughs> that's you know? when i knew we had a problem that's when i started knowing that we had a problem because listen i got myself in trouble last year for like the same um tourism as servitude um, because I'm like, we need to find another way to <laughs> kind of put our ads, market the ads to people who are black, who, because now with, with COVID, we saw that the tourism industry was really hanging on because of local support. It mm-hmm. was the middle-class people and people who have never been to a hotel in their lives, being able to save and be able to go because they were so affordable. Right. And I'm like, look at that. Look at who you were marketing this whole thing to. Um, And I remember, you know, Sandals got in trouble for um, sponsoring Fox News Network during the, the, you know, the Trump campaign. So that kind of opened it up. And then people were like, yes, honey. So people were like looking at it now. Look at who you're marketing to and look at who is actually saving the industry. Regular regular working class, hardworking people who save up them the money and bring them families to these resorts to keep them afloat until the, the, the borders were open again and, right. and um, people started traveling back. Well, but even how the government have dealt with mandatory quarantine and not enforcing right. it for certain people and all of that. Right. That, yes. that's 
these all show in terms of where um, there are hotspots for COVID. In what mm-hmm. communities were there hotspots for COVID? And the response to that. Oh, yes. Yes. There was a whole scandal with that that went nowhere because mm-hmm. we can't lock down certain communities at all <laughs> you know and yeah it's it's really crazy i think we're really seeing the classism exist even more with covid because it's just the but then police and, but then police are patrolling and a lack of arrest oh people. yeah them have them only have strength for poor people well and, yeah and then we're curfew right Our, oh yeah oh yeah and all these beautiful houses in the hills have their backyard parties but mm-hmm. police would never um so you know they were people are allowed to get away with as you say what the system allows them to to get away with and benefit from so i definitely agree with you monique i i've had such a great time talking about this because it's something i really wanted to talk about i talk about it in my circle with friends but like talking about it with somebody who's actually in academia and researching it it validates so much of the concern that i have and really really like um kind of hammers home why we need to talk about these things so again i am so appreciative i hope we can have another discussion in the future maybe about something else that you're working on i really want to talk about the trinidad thing so i will be following up with that because i i have this this thing about the this, the differences between trinidad and jamaica with the classes and just based on carnival alone so i would love to hear like kind of more about that um in the future right definitely i'll let you know when i publish that paper <laughs> awesome. so culture shock abroad what a conversation eh? I learn so much from this conversation with Dr. Monique Kelly and it's so great to um, reach out to people in the diaspora that are really, you know, holding it down, doing the work, um, putting in the research to understand our history and to try to make a change in the diaspora and the future of our country so i'm so happy that we were able to do that interview i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did and if you did please remember to subscribe on any podcast app that you use and also make sure that you follow me on my instagram page or facebook at the culture shock abroad definitely share this episode and other episodes on the page with your friends and family and just keep the conversation going you can always reach out to me at info at cultureshockabroad.com have a great week everyone and we'll talk soon bye